We are live on a beautiful Sunday night. I got my window open during this podcast because it's so nice outside in the state of Oklahoma tonight. A little nasty last night. Uh, Storms coming through, but spring game got in. People got home, despite from what I understand, treacherous traffic conditions on Highway 9 out of Norman last night. Uh, Not because of weather, but because of people and all the people that came to Norman for the spring game in the event. That was the OU spring game this weekend. Uh, one of the craziest th- sights that I've seen of anything regarding Oklahoma football. Uh, really cool. Out From the outside looking in uh, was a really, really cool event, which is why we have Peyton Guthrie and our lovely producer, Matt Burton, joining join alongside with me to discuss all the things that happened this weekend. Peyton made your way up to Norman. You were at the spring game, and you are mad that they have not fixed any of the signs on the concrete barriers underneath the stadium. Yeah, correct. I mean, the, the, the palace looked a little shabby for a spring game. I mean, it always kind of looks that way for a spring game. All that gets cleaned up during the fall. Uh, more, more, more of a poke and prod, but it would be kind of cool to see if OU can, can ratchet up even, even the spring game stuff to make sure everything's a little more on point all the way through. But all in jest, all in jest, I assure you. Like having more gates open, you know, when you sell 75,000 tickets uh, and stuff like that. Well, if you get there early, like it's a game, if you will, okay. Uh, if you got stuck in that line, it was because you didn't treat it like a game. You knew 75,000 people were going to show up and you, for some reason, thought you're going to walk in w- with, you know, one minute to go. That, that's on you. I walk, it took me, it took me five minutes to get into the stadium. So, Matt, how was, uh, was, did you have to do your normal procedure yesterday? I did, man. I did. Felt like a, it felt like a September game, man. Felt like a September game. So, like, go set up at 8 o'clock in the morning and not leave until post-game's done it. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, got there, I got there at 9. Got there at 9. So, no, it wasn't too bad, honestly. Um, but, yeah, no, I, there were no tents. You couldn't set up tents, right? We normally set up mm-hmm. a tent. Mm-hmm. And stuff, but they had banned tents because of the high winds. Um, even though we had stuff, we had stuff to weigh it down. But uh, and they told me prior, but I still set up a tent anyway. And I was like, you know, ask forgiveness rather than permission. Sure. So I did it, and literally five minutes later, uh, Bob Cunningham, shout out to him, he does a great job helping us out. Uh, he was like, uh, you can't do that. So I had to take down the tent. Um, so, I, but I got to pull the van right by where we set up, so that's good. But the only problem, like we mentioned, four gates were open. So people just everywhere. And we had to, I had to wait in line with the food trucks to kind of get out of that little like sidewalk in between McCasland and in the uh, in the stadium. And um, so I, I didn't end up getting out of that into the parking lot where I need to go until 340. So I didn't get to, yeah, the game starts at what, 3.15? So yeah, no, mm-hmm. 3.40 is when I finally got to pull out and uh, all the people were were out of getting run over distance. So uh, yeah, I kept seeing all the pictures. Like I, I heard kickoff, I, I heard kickoff go on and 
Um, there were still thousands of people waiting to get in. Yeah, so I saw, those, I saw all those pictures too. And we're definitely gonna about to dive into that in just a second. But I do want to remind you guys, if you do enjoy listening to this podcast, if you're listening to this podcast for the first time, thanks for doing that. Please subscribe, review, rate, do all that fun stuff. We greatly, greatly appreciate it. And we're going to have a big guest this week, maybe a couple uh, NFL draft on Thursday, maybe do some draft talk ahead of that. Focus on some Oklahoma guys as well. Uh, And that's on patreon.com slash through the keyhole. We'd love to have you. The Oklahoma Spurs, people listening to this, a full breakdown, 49 minutes. It's, <laughs> I'm surprised I got it under an hour, um, considering all the things that I talked about and showed in the video. Uh, I'm proud of that. And But if you want to see that as well, that's patreon.com slash through the keyhole. Video for all film-related things are $5. Rest is just 4 And we also have a $1 tier as well for written content. We'd love to have you. Peyton, I texted you halftime, I believe, uh, at the game yesterday to kind of get your maybe some thoughts on some of the things that were happening in the game. And I'm going to read the text back in verbatim. Best spring game in OU history, special experience. Why is that? Well, I think if you're an OU fan and you weren't at the spring game, you really did a disservice to yourself uh, and a disservice to the program overall. I mean, I made the two and a half hour drive down there to be a part of it. And um, it was it was just a different experience. I've been to uh, spring games under multiple head coaches. I've been to spring games, different schools and stuff. And this felt, I mean, I don't know. It just felt different. It felt more like a prep rally at times, like, you know, uh, Brent's, hyping up everybody and they had, they had all the stuff going on. And I think it really proved that you don't really have to do all the concerts and bells and whistles and stuff to the pull in a big crowd. You just have to make them feel welcome and make them feel, um, you know, part of an experience. And obviously the Baker statue and everything, it just felt different. It felt like a lot more, a lot more intention to, to what they're doing. It, but I remember I was, I was sitting next to Brady and I was kind of thinking, man, you know, nudging him and going like, you know, can, could, is Brent, is Brent for real? I mean, is he, is he the special guy as he's giving his little speech before the game and stuff uh, beyond just what we think he is a good football head coach, you know, good football coach was like, is he actually the guy, you know, to a certain degree. And if, if he can pull off what he did this weekend and it's legit, then I think OU is more than fine moving forward. And we got a little hint. Thanks to the halftime presentation, Baker Mayfield. Well, he about slipped a couple of things. Um, one, he about thanked Lincoln Riley. That would have been the second QB one to be booed on Owen Field in the last <laughs> year. And then two, he also slipped. I don't. It's not confirmed by anybody. Oklahoma didn't come out and say anything, deny it, or any confirm it, whatever. Peyton, but looked at Kyler Murray and said, "We're going to have another statue presentation this year, mm-hmm. next year." So they could probably have the same atmosphere. Kyler doesn't isn't as beloved as Baker Mayfield is. Um, that's. I think was listening to some podcasts this week, Peyton, everybody put it perfectly. We're going to talk about Baker in a second. I mean, Baker Mayfield lived the dream of not just every OU fan, but every kid in the state of Oklahoma uh, growing up until they realized that their parents are Oklahoma state alumni in that regard, or a fan of someone else. Um, so I would imagine it probably won't have the, it won't have the buzz in terms of like Kyler's statue reveal next year, but that's another just event. And it's something to add to the event to bring people to Norman. I want to say, I want to speak from an out. I said this yesterday, um, a tweet that did kind of go a little bit more pub than I thought it was going to get. Um, oh, you fans have been shit on 
over the last four or five months from some people, you know, not every day, not from the same people, not the same person over and over and over again. Um, well done. Like, you know, you, you talk about over the last, what, two years, Peyton, I'm trying to be careful what I'm saying here. Um, that, you know, if you really want your voices to be heard, you have to show up and go do something, maybe like voting. Um, Oklahoma fans, that was their first time to let their voices be heard. And they made a loud statement on Saturday. Mm-hmm. And well done. I mean, that's, <laughs> if, if you're going to, like, if, if OU fans have been on, so, like, on Twitter, You've created one of the best GIFs for OU Twitter. Not enough people are using it yet. Um, it's been toxic. I mean, it's been a very toxic situation. I mean, look at <laughs> good friend of mine at this point, Brett Coleman, got flamed last night. Uh, I had to sit that one out. But, I mean, there's just been so much. And for OU fans to show up in the way that they did, the passion that they showed, like, that's what this is all about. Like, that's why we love college football. And not just speaking, I, I know I'm not speaking for you here, but not even just for, I bet you and not even an OU fan, like, perspective here. Yesterday was cool in Norman. Like, that's yes. what college football yeah. is supposed to be about. Yeah, I mean, yesterday was a, a, the full college experience. I mean, that's the type of stuff that you want, that you see and think, okay, college football is still alive and well at some of these campuses. And I even mentioned it before, you know, when Brent made his, you know, airport landing. I mean, the bands out there, that the roughnecks out there, that, you know, a full audience. It, it's a different, I mean, Norman is just a different place than some of these other places where, you know, Brian Kelly's laying at LSU and it's just like five dudes in suits meeting him. You know, it's, it's just a different, complete different environment. Um, and I think maybe we're, you know, the fans of OU are ready to embrace some of that not too cool for school stuff. You know, I mean, sure. that a, a former head coach se- seemed more um, inclined to kind of be a more professional team to a certain degree. I mean, it's still, college football it's still student athletes it's still you know school so it's cool to ha- be out there and do the school spirit and everything walking arms trying to do new traditions um but i mean it was just super cool i mean the game itself uh, went pretty well I, it was i don't know it, it, it's hard to explain other than it's a special experience and you should have been there well i wasn't there um so thanks well for true calling. yeah yeah, yeah. Thanks well, you should have been there thanks for calling <laughs> out on that um so i wasn't there but i i wanted let's Continue on with this magical experience. Baker Mayfield statue um, was unveiled a lot better mm-hmm. in person. Um, and even the pictures today that I'm seeing, it's a lot better than what it looked like on Friday night. Uh, whether that was lighting, whether the pictures, the cameras were too far. I don't know what it was. I think it looks a lot better. Um, they probably could have done something with the headband to make it stand out a little bit more. So it doesn't yeah. like, look like his head is, I mean, balding um, to a certain extent, LeBron James style. But I, I definitely – I'm going to say this. This wasn't just a weekend I think OU fans needed. I don't think this was a weekend that the, the Oklahoma football program needed. A little off topic here, Peyton. I think this was a weekend Baker Mayfield needed. Yeah. No, for sure. I mean, it was also – I mean, it was two wounded people. I mean, and two wounded – the OU fan base is wounded. Uh, OU football program is wounded. And uh, I guess it's three. And, and Baker Mayfield kind of coming home and being taken care of the way that we know he can be taken care of in Norman. I mean, it's a, it's a special place for him. I mean, obviously grew up a fan, had to walk on, had to earn, you know, quote, quote unquote, earn the scholarship, which, you know, the moment he could get one, he got one, uh, <laughs> you know, and 
revitalized um, OU football. I mean, completely entirely. The, the love letter I wrote to OU, I mean, Baker Mayfield's OU career is that he saved the Oklahoma program. I mean, it was very close to stagnating to the point to where it's thinking, you know, can OU get its mojo back to a certain degree? I mean, the 90s aren't that bad of an issue, in my opinion, because once you bomb out, you can only go up. But if you just do a slow decline or a slow setting into stagnation, like it's very difficult. That's when you start looking at like Michigan and stuff. And it's like, oh, it took them 20 years to finally beat Ohio State or something like that. You know, and that's just that's not where I wanted the program to be. Even with, you know, I think we can all say Lincoln Ryan's a great, a great head coach, great offensive coordinator. But I mean, if he had to manage Lincoln, uh, you know, if he had to manage uh, 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 Knight and like Kendall Thomas and those were his quarterbacks, I just don't think it works out for him the way that it did. Um, with Baker being on the field and be able to kind of set that tone, which then allowed, you know, the Kyler to come down, allowed Jalen to come, you know, Spence, you know, Radler and Williams. I mean, it all starts with Baker kind of resurrecting that program and bringing that swagger back uh, entirely. And he got every single prop. I mean, he got every single prop from every single person that was in that stadium. And, um, and to be honest with you, um, I, I think Kyler, anytime they showed Kyler, he got a big pop too, man. I mean, every single time he was on screen, people, I mean, we cheered, so it was it was a, the overall dreads? experience. You oh, don't have dreads. I mean, I, I don't have any hair, so any hair any hairstyle is cool, in my opinion. My thought my thought with Kyler, uh, could they not get him his baseball jersey with his number on it? Yeah, I don't Who's know. Was he wearing? I don't know what that was about. He was wearing forty three. The other <laughs> the other thing too, you guys are going to see a tweet about this here in like an hour, probably. Um, absolutely Kyler Murray executed at such a high level during the game on Saturday. So the broadcast pans to him. I don't know if you guys have watched the replay yet, but the broadcast like pans to him walking from the locker room on the through, you know, through the South end zone over to where all the former players were at on the uh, West sideline puts his phone up to his ear, but you can see enough. His screen is black. And then when he takes it off, he walks by everybody so he doesn't have to take any more pictures. I'm sure he got a lot of pictures. I'm not hating on Kyler Murray for this. I just think it's funny. Um, very clearly pulled the, I'm on the phone, but I'm not really on the phone, but I'm walking by all you guys. I'm not taking any pictures. And then as he walked by him, got closer to the former players, put his phone down. I thought that was really funny. Um, I'm going to, again, probably see a tweet about that here in a little bit. Matt? I also, I also had a, a pretty funny story. Um, my girlfriend and her where she works she works for OU online and uh, they got a one of the suites on the press box side like by the press box side um so we get up there we, we leave around like five minutes left in the third quarter um trying to get a, an elevator down try to we we barely missed one that had a couple spots left so like all right we'll, we'll get the next one whatever uh that same elevator comes back down and we go to get on thinking that oh they let some people off uh, no, it was full and none other than Baker and Emily Mayfield had taken the two spots that, that we were trying to get on. Uh, so yeah, I was like five, five, four feet away from Baker Mayfield and, uh, yeah, played it cool. Didn't say anything, but we locked eyes. Our eyes did meet. Was he six foot? Yeah, he was, he was legit probably like an inch taller than six feet. He's, he's legit six one, I think. All right. It's all those straw that stretching he's been doing. Right. <laughs> uh, no. So I, 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 the last thing, the speech before the game, not necessarily the speech at halftime thought that was cool speech at halftime felt more Dabo than Brent Venables. Um, but the, the speech before the game, 
with all the former players there. Oh, it's fantastic. I mean, yeah, I mean, that's the kind of stuff when he's talking. I mean, it, it, he, he couldn't get through his full sentence without the, the entire audience just kind of starting to lose their mind every single time. So, I mean, it, it's, it's what it was. It was what is super cool to see that in him, you know, the moment he said, you guys built this, I mean, sorry, you guys built this program or however, you, you know, that, that raspy, screamy voice. I mean, everyone's like, we know what he's saying and, you know, without saying it and everyone just starts losing their minds and he starts bringing all these people in. And it wasn't just like, oh, he's bringing in people who, um, who, who can benefit the team. You know, he, he's not bringing in like, oh, we've got all these big name people here and that's it. I mean, no, they had everyone they could. I mean, obviously didn't have any. I don't think Sam was on the field. I don't think they'd like Trent. Uh, maybe they had Williams. I can't There's remember. Too many I know, people at the spring game. Yeah, it, it was just so many people. I mean, Bradford's there the night before at the statue mm-hmm. unveiling, but he wasn't at, at the game itself. Um, but you can tell he's like building, trying to build like a full family experience to where, hey, even if you flamed out, even if you never made the NFL, even if you're playing in like, you know, another fan, fan controlled football league or something, oh, he's going to bring you back. Oh, he's going to welcome you with open arms. And, um, it's, it's just a different, it just, it's a different experience. I mean, you don't have to have just you being there has value, not the fact that you have value, you have quote unquote, uh, you know, external value. Um, that's the thing I think is pretty cool. Over the report was over 250 former players and families were in town. Um, job well done. Everybody involved. Um, I clapped earlier. I would do it again. You know, I've engaged with this fan base for, 25 now, nine years, eight, nine years at this point. Um, probably one of the more just fulfilling, right? You know, like mm-hmm. it, it there, there's just there's not the right adjective to use. Well done, everybody listening to this podcast that was at the event. Well done, everybody on social media. Um, everybody, job well done. I mean, I've got nothing else to say. It's it's awesome. Um yeah. It felt like a college football Saturday yesterday. Uh, the timeline did again, thanks to a good friend Brett Coleman, who, by the way, Peyton, I told him after the uh, USC tweets, uh, he's the one who said the whole uh, Georgia Bama are scared shitless of USC. Um, I told him the rules are now he has to come to Oklahoma and uh, create a con- create content for his YouTube video uh, for his YouTube. So um, I told him those he has to come here and do that now, and I have to show him around. So uh, hopefully that will happen. Is there anything else outside before we dive into everything that happened in the spring game, Matt Payton, that we, that I've missed that um, anything? Yes. Kyler Murray's baseball Jersey number. I figured it out. What we got. Kyler Murray high school career, 43 and Oh, so I'm assuming it's the 43 for his high school. He is career. Cocky son of a bitch. I love it. Love it though. No, but I have to uh, buy one of those jerseys now. You missed that. Uh, well, I mean, you, you kind of touched on it, but. Um, seventy-five thousand at a spring game. What losers, right, guys? What losers? <laughs> Basically, every reply to to every tweet about the spring game. What losers? You had seventy-five thousand. There's nothing else to do, losers. Yeah, Shut I didn't. Up. Include, I didn't include talk of any any of the, any of the USC spring game stuff on here. I'm sure other podcasts will talk about it. I just, I'm so like, like it was so. I just kind of wanted to barf about all the conversation yesterday. Because, like, people clearly in Southern California just do not understand the college football environment. They, they just don't. Um, well, and I don't I really want to give them the time of day either. That's my yeah. perspective. I mean, at 75,360, I mean, basically 10,000 uh, less than a complete sellout. I mean, it was 
if, if they're playing Missouri State or something, it's a, that's a sellout because they bring their people and stuff like that. Um, it, it'd been cool if they're if you know the weather was a little bit better, uh, the wind was down, and OU had said, okay, we're going to do full tailgating and everything. I think that could have been like a full game experience. Um, but I was talking to uh, Grant from West of Everest. Uh, he, he lives in a um, Big Ten country, and he's like, hey, even the Big Ten guys, they, these schools just don't really seem to get it. You know, I mean, um, college football, as much as we want to, you know, pat the back on Big Ten and ACC and some of these other conferences, um, it's I think it's Big 12 and SEC. Those are the schools who really, really take football seriously. And for everyone else, it's a, a really awesome revenue-generating uh, thing. Uh, for the schools. I mean, but I mean, it's, it's a Southern sport and, you know, thank God Southeastern uh, conference invited Oklahoma into its home territory back to the South. For sure. Everybody in college football won their spring game on Saturday. So congrats to them. Um, Everybody's going to have a really, really good year because of how things went. Quinn Ewers is going to be the big 12 quarterback of the year because he had a 70 yard touchdown pass. That was pretty good. He looked, he looked pretty, the, the ball pops. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We'll talk about, we can talk about that uh, next week or sometime, but I'm uh, I, let's transition. I was going to say something else, but let's transition into the game because I think there's so much to take away from it. We're going to go position by position and talk about this thing. Um, I, I don't know if you've been able to rewatch Peyton on Sunday and all that stuff. I know you're driving back down to Southeast Oklahoma, um let's start with the quarterbacks I think that's obviously the most uh probably the most compelling conversation because Dylan Gabriel threw 28 passes I believe in a spring game like Mm -hmm. that's just an insane amount I don't I don't even think it's because they didn't have depth either man like I think they wanted him they like they used that game as like practice for him like he needed it oh for sure no I mean if if we're gonna go right into it to 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 a certain degree if Dylan uh, I mean uh, I, I think he's uh, a, a manageable quarterback who understands the system. Um, I wasn't fully uh, pleased with everything I saw in stadium. I mean, he seemed late on a couple RPOs. He's kind of uh, out, out of reach on a couple other people. Um, a couple drops didn't help him. I mean, Mims had a wide open touchdown. The moment he catches it, he just missed it. Um, you know, throws a pick, uh, trying to do a – look like a back shoulder fade, but Dennis has read that beautifully. He ran the – you know, he stopped and he turned quicker. Uh, but – if I have that right, if Dylan Gabriel threw that interception, but it wasn't, um, it, I don't know. I, I, I what, what he showed at the spring game really clicks in line with what I've been hearing about his practices where he's getting you in and out of looks he's, he's moving the ball, but it's not something you're going to look at and think, Oh yeah, there, there's a Heisman candidate right there. You know, it, it's not the same guy we have. It's not, the, it's not the same we were used to seeing, um, I think because of the game and the atmosphere and everything, people are going to be a little uh, happier about uh, uh, about him. I'm seeing, you know, articles saying, you know, he, he impressed, he did really well. And I was like, I don't know. I mean, uh, it, you know, it's a little tough. Um, I'm not saying he, he didn't play well, but it, it just seems like it, that's kind of going to be who he is. I don't know if he's going to be someone who's going to try to win some games. Now he did have that one, one scramble, one scramble drill, which I did like with the pass to, to Weiss where he found, but other than that, um, if it's not a mechanical read, I'm just not for sure he's going to be the, you know, over-the-top guy that OU's just used to. I mean, he's, he seems to be more like a Rattler guy with less arm talent, I guess, is how you could put it. Yeah, and I would even say, like, I pers- you know, from just my perspective, like I think Spencer probably sees DBs and reads that stuff a little bit better. But yes, it's yeah. a spring game. It's, it's one of those things where, like, I'm going to ask you about the system here in just a second. 
but I wanted to focus on Dylan. He he missed two really open windows. So the play before he threw the touchdown to Mims, he just flat out missed them wide open um, in two different windows, and like that that can't happen. He he had a couple throws behind guys, um, threw a bullet. <laughs> I told you. I mean. I guess I'll just leave my final thought at this before we talk about the system and how he fits into it and everything, Peyton. I said when he committed and he came to Oklahoma that Oklahoma, every time that he walks out on the field for the first time before a game, that they should play at least the highlight of major league with wild thing coming out of the bullpen. Like that's like, that's how I feel about him. That's how I felt about him after studying him at his time at UCF. Um, it, it, there's going to be games Peyton this fall where he's going to go, throw for 400 yards and four touchdowns he'll throw oh, for he'll sure go, he'll go throw for 400 yards and four touchdowns against texas in the cotton bowl and then the next week he'll go for 225 and throw three picks like that's just that's the that's the dylan gabriel experience and i think i think people got that firsthand on saturday if you didn't get caught up in the excitement that was and with the spring game um i just it's gonna be interesting it, it's from the aspect of one, health-wise, like he didn't play, you know, he was hurt the final nine games of the year last year. Mm-hmm. And, and then two, like that first play, right, with Theo Weiss, you just mentioned a second ago. Like I wonder if Jordan Kelly didn't pull up at all, like it, what happens there. Like when Jalen Redmond got there one time, like what happens with that situation? We will never know that until the bullets are flying in the fall. Um, so we'll see. Um, but I did think before we talk about the system in general, I thought he showed what we knew about him. And I'm much happier about that because if he would have been like 20 for 20 and threw for 250 yards and three touchdowns on Saturday, like this offseason would have been miserable. But I think in terms of like expectation now, I think everybody is probably on the same page um, it, with OU fans wise in terms of what to expect from Dylan Gabriel come the fall he's in a system that's very familiar Peyton I hope you noticed it from the first drive they'll just run I mean it the 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 Art Bryles and and Jeff Levy won't ever probably go away um Mm -hmm. they're gonna if something works they're gonna run it if they're gonna run RPOs if they're gonna if they run the football well they'll probably run the next the next play will be the same run play um what were your thoughts on your initial thoughts on seeing Jeff Levy's system on Saturday well, the initial thoughts was, I, th- I think the very first play, they had uh, the four wide receivers bunched up on one side and motioned them over. I was like, okay, we're actually doing motions and stuff during the spring game. Okay, that's kind of wild. <laughs> and it was almost kind of like the little, little diamond uh, ninja setup, and they moved everyone around. Um, these splits are wide. I mean, they, 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 I mean those, those um, wide receivers, those, those uh, outside wide receivers, they're on the numbers. They are out there, um, which, which then makes me think of this next thing. Um, I wasn't necessarily too happy. There's tons of things to be happy about. I have one thing that I do not like to see a whole bunch. And man, it does look like the wide receiver screen is going to be making a Landry Jones level return to the university of Oklahoma. That's a great um, analogy. And it's not, I'm not the happiest about it. Cause I'm not the biggest fan of it. And it only worked one time, but it got immediately called back uh, due to a hold when Mims was able to kind of get loose. Um, and, and mainly because the guys you have out there blocking, I mean, you've got, 
who seem like and maybe OU's second or third best wide receiver, uh, Drake Stoops, having to be that main blocker for the most of the time. Uh, and he's, it's just he could block perfectly. He's just small. Like, what are you going to do about it? Um, but some of the stuff they're getting the ball out there, uh, it may be just a product of a spring game. But like I said, I mean, this looking more and more like, you know, Drake Stoops is going to be a 35, 40 catch guy next year. If, if, if that's what his role is and what it was, it's like your job is to run this five yard route, catch it, get tackled and, you know, and keep the ball and keep everything moving. Um, their, their expectations, their ability, their willingness to move Mims around was, was uh, also really pretty exciting to see how get him lined up on linebackers more, get him in space immediately. Um, and then uh, a guy that we both thought, and I, I made a mental note of this, and I can't remember if he had said anything much about it, but uh, Daniel Parker Jr. being a much more of a receiving option uh, than I think either of us thought he would be. We thought he'd be in the backfield or in line, but I think he had like four catches. Uh, he seemed to be there. And he seemed to be that that's actually going to be part of the offense is having this bigger guy. Uh, it does seem like he's going to be the pass catching tight end, um, which is not what I expected, uh, to be honest with you. Uh, but I guess Willis is fully transformed into an H back at this point in time. And uh, I, I just don't know if we're going to see him out there um, uh, wide out uh, if both of them are out there. But I mean, Parker catching those balls and stuff like that on the offensive side. And then, um, Javante Barnes is the best running back OU has. Uh, it's um, already kind of wild. I think, you know, Eric had some shake to him, but I mean, if you want a package uh, and you want them kind of complete, Barnes is the dude who should be running the football. And I just hope he's able to put on some muscle in between now and when fall rolls around. He looks like a 22 year old already, though, man. Like some of the he does. He does. Were from yesterday are nuts. He's taller, so he just looks a little lankier. But, yeah, he, he's going to break some stuff. He's going to be the guy who kind of runs teams down, I think. He's going to be the guy who kind of OU leans on and um, starts wearing them down and, and hopefully making Dylan Gabriel's job a lot easier. Yeah, so my initial thoughts didn't surprise me at all. There's nothing that Jeff Levy did on Saturday that surprised me from the RPOs to the screen game. I mean, the run game, Peyton, the, the, they ran some counter stuff. I, put, I said it in the, in the film review that you can, again, find patreon.com slash through the keyhole. Um, they ran counter. They're going to run power. I mean, mm -hmm. they're going to run gap schemes. They're going to run zone schemes. Like, it's not – I didn't I, see the GT at all. Did you? Yeah, they ran GY. So, like, they ran yeah. it with the guard and the H back. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't know if they necessarily ran it with the guard and the tackle. He ran more G – gy he may ran more gy counter at Ole miss than yeah. he did gt um but it, it's one of those things like it was everything i mean why insert you saw that they oklahoma did not run that a year ago uh one of the big tywee walker runs up the middle came on that y insert um play they ran some zone stuff that was good you saw wide zone peyton which they did not run under lincoln riley very much mm -hmm. they ran outside zone Again, the difference being outside zone, they're, they're pinning the edge, wide zone. It's just they're sprinting right as fast as they yeah. can. The hole could be on the outside. The hole could be on the inside. Eh, the hole could be on you – know, Matt was talking about pulling out earlier. Um, hole could be on the inside. Uh, there's a there's a hole – There's wide zone's fun. I like it. I like the concept. It's, it's different from outside zone. I've had to come – I've had to, had to have a come-to-Jesus moment with an OL coach in the last year to talk about it. Um, but I can accept it that those two things are different. Um, so you saw everything. I mean, the bevy of the run game, the diversity mm -hmm. that's going to be in the run game, that's going to be so much fun, what Jeff Levy and Bill Beanbell are able to do. 
But I do think we saw stuff in the past game that is a little worrisome. Like if that's all they, that's not all they have. Right. But I think we've, we saw what, if shit hits the fan in a game, like I think we saw kind of where the things are going to go from the spring game. A lot of RPOs, a lot of screens, pop passes, um, you know, stuff like that. Not gimmicky, so to say, Peyton, um, but along those lines. Here's my other concern. You've heard me talk about this this offseason. I can't stand wide receivers not running hard routes. And that's the Baylor offense was like that. The Ole Miss yeah. offense was like that. The UCF offense that I studied under Levy was like that. Like there was two plays – that I have broken down on our film review, like there's two plays that I just am like, man, if he runs his route hard here, like he could pull a defender towards him, um, maybe get him to be a little, you know, have a little more conviction that he could be a part of the play and open a window up and a receiver slip behind him that could have been open. Like it's just little things like that, that those one or two times whenever you need those guys to run their routes hard and run them sharp um, is specifically from the slot. Um, it's got to be done and they could cost you, you know, that's, if, if it's a big moment in a game, you know, a second and 10 and the next thing, you know, you can't get a completion. It's third and 10 or third and eight opposed to third and two. Like that stuff is just m- huge. I mean, for, in terms of outcomes of games. So I saw it on, I saw it a little bit. I, I pointed them out on our film review. Don't expect it to change because it's how it's, it was at Baylor. It's how it was at Ole Miss. It's how it was at UCF under Jeff Levy. But it, I just think that's something that could be a problem down the line. Okay, we talked about Dylan Gabriel. We kind of gave our thoughts on that. Uh, I have, I'm just going to be verbatim what I have written down, Peyton. What the hell are they going to do behind him? Uh, transfer. I mean, Brent actually saying that wide open from the top at, at the uh, press conference. I mean, the, hey, we're going to look at that stuff. I mean, they need it. They have nothing there. I mean, I knew Evers needed a year, but man, he looked like Jimmy Stevens walking around with a giant bobblehead helmet. I mean, that's I mean, he is. As I thought he was like one ninety five or something, but he, man, he he looks like one seventy five at max. I mean, he needs a he needs a full year, two years in the programs, putting muscle on. The dude, dude is tiny. Now he's able to do some stuff. Had a couple of nice throws, stuff like that. I mean, but he looks like one hit and he's done. <laughs> uh, and then Bowen's just. I don't know, man. It's it's you've you've got Gabriel. If he goes down, this is good. This will be a disastrous year, and that's not where OU should be at. And, and now, now it looks much much more sense why. I, mean, I think we always knew why they're going after Dart, but Dart is probably too high of a profile to say, "Hey, we're going to bring you in. You're more likely going to set." Um, OU does need to Saturday, get it back up. Hard to cut in. You see his Saturday down at Ole I Miss? did not. No, uh-uh. I think he was like four for twelve through two picks, sixty yards passing. Um, and Lane Kiffin just flat out called him out in the post game. He was like, yeah, he's like trying to make a play every single time, which was what our scouting report was on Jackson Dart as he was transferring out of USC. So I, I wanted to add on to that. I didn't think Ralph Rucker looked bad. Mm. I don't know if he's like, a, I don't know if that's a guy you're going to throw out there, but no. <laughs> I definitely was like, Okay, I could see why Ralph was QB3 last year and why he, as a true freshman walk-on, beat out Micah Bowens to be the back or to be the third string quarterback. Like, I think that made a lot of sense. But to what you said, Peyton, yeah. I mean, when a head coach like Brent Venables, who I think is going to be pretty genuine in press conferences, 
but isn't going to throw people under the bus in press conferences too much. Um, basically coming out and saying that we don't, <laughs> yeah, we're going to be looking for a quarterback in the portal. Like that's an option. Like that's, that's a pretty strong sign of how they feel uh, about what they have at the quarterback position running back. We talked about Javante Barnes just a little bit. Uh, there's the, the biggest, the best play for me, not the touchdown. That was a defensive bust. Can't happen. Um, mm-hmm. The third and 10 run, I think, in the fourth quarter, maybe early. It was like a third and 10. It was a play to the left side going towards the east sideline where the red team was at. His burst to get from point one to point two or point A to point B, I don't know. I can't remember the last OU running back that's had that. Um, maybe Abdul Adams, like in moments. Um, yeah. But not like that. I mean, he got from being in the backfield to the second level of the defense before any linebacker could cut, cut him off. And that stuff is going to play. And I'm very, very excited to see what he does in this run scheme. But I don't think Eric Gray's bad. Like, I don't think Eric no. Gray is a jag. Like, I don't – like, I think he's a good running back. I just think that he lacks some physicality and some meat on his bones. And – Obviously, his vision, he had a great run. Um, OU blitzed on the run that he had, like the 30, 40-yard run. OU blitzed. Mm-hmm. There was just not enough hats in the box at that point and kind of got caught. But he's he's got he, he's got some vision stuff. He's got some other things that I think are going to hold him back unless they get corrected over the summer. But I'm with you. I think Barnes is probably going to be running back one for the Texas game. Um, you know, you yeah. look, look ahead five, six games into the season. Um, and then behind them, saw some walk-ons. Tyree Walker's fun. It looks like he's pulling a semi behind him when he's running running the football. <laughs> um, yeah. And so probably not the guy that you're going to see getting rep, you know, run as like running back three. But if someone goes down, like he's serviceable. Yeah, yeah. He, he's a he's a budget Samaj P. Ryan. Um <laughs> Even just how he kind of like was his that one big um, pass play he had where he kind of juked the guy in the middle of the field and tried to like hurdle over another guy. He kind of he did he did that little stumbling thing to kind of get his his body straightened back up. But I mean he ran hard, he ran well. Uh, but to me, it's Barnes or bust. Now I'm you know I'm watching the spring game as we're doing this. I, I know you say he looks like a D1 player already. He carries himself, but man, Barnes's core is so tiny. He's so skinny still. I mean, he needs to thicken up just overall. Like sure his legs and arms are there, but if you see like where, where his core section is after the, the back, the back protector stops, it's like, man, that, that just needs to be like, even like DeMarco didn't have that. I mean, he, you need to be a little more like a refrigerator <laughs> to, to a little bit to, to take those hits. Um, and that's going to happen. He's, he's going to, he's going to be able to get on five pounds and, and take care of that. But I mean, um, without him, I, I don't have a lot of major excitement for the, for the running back group. I mean, Barnes has added some excitement to me there. You know, we'll see what happens when a uh, uh, comes in the summer, right? Correct. And maybe he does something. Maybe he can get on there and start moving around. I mean, it's, it's, it's a running back position, but you know, it's like it's Mims or bust. And then in my mind, it's, it's Barnes or bust at, at those two position groups. And um, if either of those go down or either of those maybe don't show out the way they need to, it may be kind of a frustrating offensive offensive year for OU. Let's talk about the wide receivers. A little good transition there. You mentioned Marvin Mims. A couple mm-hmm. good catches. Um, good stiff arm that I didn't realize yep. he had in terms of physicality. Looks like he's going to be working a lot over the middle of the field. 
I don't know if he's like got PTSD from the Iowa State hit, but like he got alligator armed on that one ball that Dylan Gabriel threw like 90 miles an hour over the middle of the field um, and hit Billy Bowman right in the face. by the way, which was pretty funny. And they like show like a slow-mo replay. I don't know if you've gotten to that point in the rewatch, but it's like, it just drills them right in the face. It's pretty funny. But I, Jaleel Farouk made a competitive catch. I think there was a penalty on the play that got called back. Looked fine. Theo Weiss, good to see him back and running around. He's Mm -hmm. just not, and I I said this in our film review, Peyton of him, like he's just not an elite athlete. Like he's, He's not a full, he's not a blazer, but he runs such crisp routes. He's yeah. very smooth, sinks his hips well, great change of direction, has those little nuanced things with playing wide receiver, like getting separation a little bit with the push off, using his hands well at the top of his routes. Like I like Theo Weiss in this offense to be a guy that could potentially be a security blanket on the outside for him. Mm. But at the same time, like he's not going to be stretching the field. Like, I think it's pretty clear with the routes that he was running in the game on Saturday, Peyton, that he is going to be a stop route, out route, you know, maybe a vertical here and there, working in. I don't see him being a vertical deep threat at all within this offense. There'll be moments. And, but the other thing is, too, to add on to all this about Weiss, he obviously has a very high football IQ because yeah. even if you go back to, rattler in 19 and 20 or in yeah 19 and 19 with hertz and then 20 with rattler man when the play broke down it always seemed like he was the guy that they he that the quarterbacks were finding and maybe again that's just i think that speaks to him as a how smart he is as a football player um outside of all the guys we just mentioned and we i forgot to mention drake stoops we said heading into this spring we said during the spring we said last week previewing the spring game after those four, it's pretty bleak. Um, Jane Gibson, great. You beat a walk-on, 90-yard touchdown. You ran right. You ran all the way away from him. He has some separation issues. Like Josh Eaton blanketed him a couple times. Um, had the drop pass, obviously. It's going to take some time. Like, we, we expected that. I think it's going to take some time. We'll see everybody behind him. Trevin West, I don't think, played yesterday. No, I don't think so either. And again, I'm just, from what I understand, he is the fastest guy on the team. Like mm-hmm. we'll run in the low four threes when it comes around that time. But again, before I, well, when I throw it back to you here, Peyton, it's pretty clear after the four Farouk, Stoops, Mims, and Weiss, it's pretty thin. Yeah. I mean, that's why I thought it was kind of interesting. You, you saw Parker getting some more catches and stuff like that. Again, it's just a spring game. Uh, you're going to have to, the ball's going to get spread around. Um, I don't know if I totally agree with you. I just don't think we fits this system. Um, you know, Baylor has had those types of guys, but they've been like bigger guys, almost like running back kind of body type guys who have been able to kind of catch those five yard, you know, stop routes and stuff and make some movement. Um, and if, if we, we your scramble guy, but I mean, scramble drill guy to a certain degree, but this offense isn't built to, I mean, this offense is built one, two, uh, the ball needs to already be out. The ball needs to be where it needs to go. So I don't know how much he's going to have the chance to actually kind of shine in any way, shape, or form. Um, th- th- it just doesn't run those, in my opinion, those NFL-style routes, like you said, like, you know, the five-yard out, 10-yard stop, you know, 10-yard uh, comeback and stuff like that. I mean, 
this this offense just doesn't run those types of things, which he he would succeed in. He has body, he has sides. Like you said, he knows the nuances and stuff. He can get separation by using his body and kind of angling stuff. Um, and also just where they're putting him out there. I mean, he's sometimes 20 yards away um, from, from Gabriel. Uh, you know, it's, 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 I don't know how often he's going to be able to push the ball um, that far and just how, the, how spread out all this stuff is. I mean, obviously we're trying to spread the defense out to get one-on-ones, but I just don't know how much he fits that offense and that kind of like, I mean, OU doesn't, I mean, OU has one guy right now. I mean, if, if we had West, got two guys who can take the, take, take, take the top off and Mims is always lined up inside for the most part. And um, it just, and that kind of hampered some of the passing game that we saw during the spring game and being able to, you know, all the safeties be able to sit on top of everything. Uh, but yeah, I mean, if Drake's, I think this is going to be Drake's year to, to do the, you know, lunch pail guy. He's going to be running that under, under a Renfro type stuff. I mean, not obviously not that type of a, of athlete, but it's, it's going to be kind of interesting to see more of that side to side and just kind of poking and prodding on the side, waiting for something to kind of open up instead of what Lincoln Riley always wanted to do was we're throwing the ball 40 yards down the field, every other play, you know, it's just, I mean, Riley was much more like the um, Oakland Raiders type of being like, yeah, you're stretching the ball the wrong direction. We're stretching it down the field. Uh, and I just don't know if it's going to happen under Levy, uh, at least maybe this year while we have these types of uh, these types of uh, uh, skill guys on the outside. You mentioned Parker a second ago. I will say, I don't know if I think so, I don't know if like we were able to see like his wide range of athleticism that he has, right? Mm-hmm. Like, he was running just like simple releases from the line of scrimmage or a pop pass or does this. Um, but I, I want to mention, I do think that I underestimated how they're going to use them. As you've mentioned, like I definitely believe, you know, 200, 300 receiving yards, four or five touchdowns probably is not out of like the realm of yeah. possibilities for Daniel Parker this upcoming season. And I think that does have to play in with who his partner is in terms of Braden Willis here. Want to mention, I forgot to mention a second ago, but they're in the same boat along these lines, Peyton. Braden Willis missed a block in the screen game. Danny Stutzman met him at the contact point and blew it up. Uh, And Marvin Mims also missed a block on a screen play as well on a second and two that Woody Washington blew up. But those two, those are two things that we've seen over the last two years. And it doesn't surprise me at all. So, with that being said, those are your two guys. They're older. We've talked about them at length over the course of this offseason. Let's talk about the two young pups because Caden Helms, obviously, it's going to take some time for his body to be right to compete at the Power 5 level, specifically when they go to the SEC. Jason Llewellyn, though, he's got some moments in this game, Peyton. Everybody wants to move him to tackle. Everybody's sitting here. He's six foot six, 270 pounds, put 30 pounds on his ass and put him a tackle. Man, he's a good tight end. He blew up some people blocking. Um, I highlighted a couple times. I truly believe if they moved him to tackle, that would be just a mistake on two fronts. One, I think he's a tight end. And two, Caden Helms isn't ready. Daniel Parker's graduating. Braden Willis is graduating the door is wide open for Jason Llewellyn to be, they're going to probably take someone in the portal, a tight end in the portal. I would imagine this next offseason. Mm-hmm. but I mean, from what I saw 
We didn't get to see him run many routes, Peyton. We got to see him block a little bit out on the edge, out on the screen game. He got blown up by Marcus Stripling one time. Um, but outside of that, I'm all for it. Like, I I was very optimistic about what I saw from Jason Llewellyn. And Kane Helms, too. You know, like, just saw, seeing him move more than anything, It's just, I think it's going to – like, like Jaden Gibson, Kane Helms is going to take some time. Yeah, the tight end group I wasn't all too enthused about. I mean, there wasn't a, a ton to look at, um, in, in my opinion. Um, it, it's really hard for me to get into the nitty-gritty of what they're asked to do, especially most of them being so young and kind of being moved around uh, in some weird ways. Uh, but it, having some guys in line, stuff like that, is a little bit different, obviously. Um, but I don't know. I, I don't have a great, great opinion of those two Um if we're going to add them into their blocking stuff, I think the defensive line won the day of the two units. So I guess we'd have to kind of add them into there being like, well, if they're going to be bodies on the line or bodies trying to get in front of people, they just need to, they need to grow, need to physically mature. And I don't know if either of them are going to be seeing the field unless it's a, you know, emergency type duty or, or, or purely mop up type duty at this point in time. So it's hard to, for me to get excited about either one of those at this point in time. I mean, their bodies have to change so much before they're even ready to, to play some big-time college football. Speaking of the offensive line, just talk about things that are optimistic. Hello, the offensive tackles. Hello, hello, hello. Wanya Morris looked great. From my vantage point, I thought him and Tyler Guyton looked like the two best tackles that Oklahoma has. Anton Harrison's in that conversation. Savion mm-hmm. Bird's in that conversation. We thought it was three. I think it's four. You were excited about Tyler Guyton because of his big body, basketball background, mm-hmm. you know, big frame to fill into. He looked great. He looked fantastic on Saturday. Yeah, just being that big, it's, it's almost kind of like an Orlando Brown type thing where it's like, well, yeah, not a prime athlete, but you still have to run around them. <laughs> and if you're that big and you're that wide and your arm span's that long – uh, it, it makes it just a little bit harder. Um, on the whole, I don't know if I'm excited about it as much as you are. I mean, I saw Grimes get there. I saw Stripling get there. I saw Downs get there. I saw some some pressure kind of get by them in ways that I was not 100% happy about. <laughs> but um, I, I can I can live with it being with the offensive line being split up the way they were and think, okay, this is it's going to be a better unit come fall. Um, but I don't know if if the they shined uh, to, to maybe the degree. Maybe I'm just being a hater. Well, this is where those come in. And I think as you watch the rest of this game and when you watch it more closely over the, whether it's today, tomorrow, this offseason, whatever it may be, Peyton, you'll notice, and I'm going to talk about it here in a second, Grimes' success came on Marcus Hicks and Aaron Parks. Mm-hmm. Stripling's, a lot of his success came from the tight ends, like working on a Karsten Groose, who's a walk-on, as well as Jason Llewellyn, as well as Caden yeah. Helms. And I would hope Marcus Stripling and Jonah Lualu can manhandle 18 and 19-year-old kids since they're like 22 <laughs> years old. You know what I'm saying? So, mm-hmm. but the moments that like they were working on, like if you watch all the reps with Jonah Lualu against Tyler Guyton, it's the things that I talked about from Jonah Lualu's tape from Hawaii, Peyton, that I was just turned off by that he just didn't have skill to his game. He looks like a million dollars, and he's just not. Um, And so on that, 
I was very pleased with what I saw from the tackles. But to what we've talked about, there is a definite line between the guys that are going to compete for this to play over the course of the next two seasons and the guys that aren't. Like the Aaron Parks experiment's done a tackle, in my opinion. And I, I know it's the spring game. It was bad. Um, I, you know, Marcus Hicks, dad and him have been, you know, endearing themselves to the fan base. They've been great. All that stuff. Don't know if it's going to work out um, at tackle at Oklahoma. Right. You get kind of go down, you kind of go down the list of the rest of the guys that, that you saw at tackle. Um, it just, outside of those four, it was rough. Um, and that's why like the stuff I've picked out and showed of Wanya Morris, I mean, that looks like a completely different football player. Anton Harrison looked a little more similar, right? Like mm-hmm. I was like, eh, like this is kind of what we saw the last two years of Anton Harrison with Wanya. Man, that looks like a completely different football player. That's the guy that those moments at Tennessee that I was very excited about, despite him having some rough, rough moments at Tennessee. Like that's the guy I wanted to say. I'm very, I was very, very, very happy to see that clearly progress has been made in some form or fashion. Um, and when you see Savion Bird, Peyton, he's wearing 59. Mm-hmm. He looks exactly like Adrian Ely. Like it's scary how similar it looks. I don't know if that's the best thing, right? But Adrian Ely wasn't bad. Um, he also wasn't elite. And that's kind of the, the, you know, if we're going to say best is the standard, best is the standard, right? Mm -hmm. And so I was very pleased. I think that it's heading in the right direction with those guys, but I want to throw it back to you and we can finish it up, finish up your thoughts. It's just, there's a clear line. And I don't know if it's like Wanya Morris. I don't know if Savion Bird's ready. I mean, Tyler Guyton looked like he could be their left tackle tomorrow. Like that, that those two worked that were on the same team. Guyton was at left, Morris was at right. You can tell me those two guys are starting for them this fall. I w- would buy it. I mean, the, the the part that I saw mostly that I mean, again, just in stadium and kind of watching, um, is it, it, it just seemed like there's so many people in the backfield a lot, and you know, just that's just much my general impression of it, and it just didn't seem like the guys had time to kind of move stuff around. Now, again, it's because of the draft format. I just don't know if OU has. Man, I think said that line. I don't know if OU has. I, I think they've got a starting five, and I think that might be it. You know, and and that's I don't know if they've got somebody who can really step in. Another guard is going to step in just in case somebody gets banged up. And offensive linemen get banged up a lot. I mean, they get hit pretty damn hard every single play. And you know, to me, it's a little worrying at this point in time. Um, you seem a little more plussed about it than I am. Um, um, just about the uh, potential skill sets between everybody, but. I just need to see what it looks like in a non-spring game setting. I mean, right. the offensive line, it's such – I mean, you can kind of get a read on D-line, in my opinion, in the spring game and stuff because, you you know, there's they're doing basic stuff. They're beating a guy in front of them. They're moving around. Um, but it's so hard to, to get a full, full look at what an O-line would look like at a uh, – you know, in, in a spring game. You know, seeing the pools and stuff like that, you can see some of the timing was going there. I don't know if GT is just going to be able to return under Levy because – you know, that it's, you have to have a tackle who can make that turn in time and they might not have it in um, the guys we're talking about are two big dudes, very athletic, but there's big dudes and might not be able to make that, you know, might not be able to get their asses 
uh, downhill in time for it all to work out. Um, but I mean, I think they'll be okay. If, if not, I think their floor is last year's, uh, you know, middle of the road, which would be an M plus would be an improvement um, in my opinion. But um, you can see a couple of confusions, stuff like that. There's some, you know, some mm. blitzing kind of coming on. Um, when we start talking about the We're linebackers, talk we'll talk about that. About that. We'll get there. Yeah. Let's let me say this. So let's go to move to the interior offensive line. I'm with the thing I'm about to say, like Cole Montgomery, Nate Anderson, Mm-hmm. Marcus Alexander. Don't know if it's going to work out. And the depth there, like Aaron Parks looks like a guard. I still, I have never figured out why they put him at tackle. I know he's athletic. Uh, they need to move him to guard. And because to what you just said, like McCade Matower didn't really get a good feel on him. Didn't mm-hmm. see a lot of reps, you know, Robert Condrell was solid except when he was working against Jalen Redmond. When yeah, you get to those clips of Jalen Redmond working as a zero tech, we're going to talk about him in just a second. Holy cow. But it's very clear that there is – you talked about it. We've talked about it all offseason, Peyton. There are seven offensive linemen, maybe seven. And if you exclude Savion Bird and put Tyler Guyton in, there's seven. I don't know if there's much after that, and that's a little worrisome, you know, if injuries do come up with that group. That's a problem, but I thought McCade Matower was solid. Didn't see much. Didn't see too too many things that popped in my head that were negative. Andrew Rame didn't play. Robert Condrell was solid. Chris Murray solid. Thought he was fine, and so I think solid. There you go. There's like there's my like official assessment of how I felt about the top offensive line guys. After that, though. I mean, yeah. Colin Montgomery and Marcus Alexander, like I, I can't imagine what Bill Beanbow was like in the film room today and Aaron Parks too. Like I, I feel bad. Like that's just not the kind of stuff you want to put on tape for everybody to see. Um, and so we'll see how that, we'll see how things play out, but that's kind of where I'm at with the offensive line. I don't know if you have anything else to add about the interior offensive line group before we kind of throw it over to the defense here, Peyton, because Matt, I, you see it. Uh, I put it in the thing play it you blitz all night Peyton they're gonna fucking pardon my French blitz every single down if they want if they can <laughs> yeah I mean it, it's gonna be it's a different style of a, a defense that's coming back to the big 12 I mean we're so used to seeing um just uh just blanket coverage not as much uh uh um pressure packages coming through and oh you seem like they're going to do things a little bit different it's going to heat up these quarterbacks make them make moves and it won't be too difficult especially as things are becoming more rpo style and i know everyone's like with well, rpo it, it it you know it beats pressure well not in my opinion not really because the rpos don't you can only run it so many different ways so you heat up and you cover option one and um probably not gonna have enough time to get to option two <laughs> so if you can do that then you start dictating a little bit what's going to happen, um, what's going to be happening to you, and you start planning planning on that aspect pretty quickly. Th- there's some stuff on the defense beyond just the the, the 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 pressure packages that I saw that I really like, just some player personnel and stuff. But yeah, walk walk me through what you're thinking on this pressure stuff. I mean, what OU's trying to do um, and how they're handling it, man. So with Grant, try he tried to generate all this stuff through stunts and twists, and eventually people caught up to that. And it worked, right? Like last year when Perry on Winfrey, the light came on those final three games, it obviously was still a fine idea, fine, you know, scheme. 
this and that. I don't know. I mean, I expected it. I didn't expect it in the spring game. My other tweet, Peyton, instead of saying they blitzed 167% of the time, I was just going to mention that Brent Venable's defense or Oklahoma's defense blitzed as if the national championship was on the line Saturday. They, they blitzed like every other down. It was unbelievable. Sim pressures, you know, have five guys on the line of scrimmage, drop three, still acts like a blitz. You know, they're going to get into this. You know, I'm sure we're about to talk about it here in just a second. They're going to get into an odd front. They're going to get into a 3-2-6. They're going to get into a 3-3-5. And they're going to send five every time. They're going to be coming from different places, a lot like what Jim Knowles did at Oklahoma State a year ago. They're going to get into an, they're going to get into an even front. They're going to spread those defensive tackles out and let lanes for the linebackers to blitz in. Man, it is like I'm. I, you know me. I'm an offensive guy. My I come from. I don't talk about this often. My head coach, at, whenever I was in high school, was an offensive guy. You know, kind of brought the air raid to Class A football in Oklahoma, like stuff like that. You know, like that's more my background. Like it made me nauseous how often he was blitzing. And whenever you hear like our, I keep thinking about our interview with Shane Beamer and this facial impression, you know, expression I put out there uh, of what he had when he was talking about, about Brent. I just don't know how he has all this stuff. I don't know how they've installed all this stuff. So already. And I, I mean, run Chick-fil-A, like go help with them. Reduce, you know, like, you know what I'm saying? Like it, I am, it was not nauseating watching how often they were blitzing as an offensive lineman. I can't imagine it. Uh, Reggie Grimes his first sack on the day, right? Nate Anderson was playing center. They stun around Reggie Grimes stunts around Nate Anderson doesn't pass his guys off and he gets to the quarterback, right? Nate Anderson's probably not going to start at center, uh, for Oklahoma next year, but, or uh, on the teams that Oklahoma's playing, I'm just, you know, there was times where like, you look at the corners, Peyton, I don't know if you paid attention to them much at all, but like they're playing with just extreme inside or outside leverage and forcing the yeah. receiver to make a choice. I am excited. Very excited. They're going to give up some big plays doing it. Like, don't get me wrong. There's going to be six, seven, eight plays a game where you got all the fans are going to be like, what the hell just happened? How did that happen? But the return on it in terms of the turnovers they're going to force in terms of the negative plays they're going to force in terms of all that stuff, Man, I'm excited. Like that, th- I said this, you know, one of the things we talked about in the uh, last week's podcast previewing the game, talking about one, I wanted to see physicality. That happened. Mm-hmm. Um, it can't happen in a spring game. They did it. And then two, I wanted to see, like, I wanted to see the defense in, like, full Brent form. And, man, whatever, like, you know, you, you hear all these coaches talk about, ah, you know, broadcasting the spring game teams can scout on and I'm a first year head coach here, blah, 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 blah. Uh, if an offensive coordinator turns that scheme on or turns the game, OU spring game on Peyton, it's going to look like what Jim Knowles did at Oklahoma state a year ago. Yeah. Some of the stuff you, you, you talked about, I mean, especially the, the leverages, the corners were playing. I'm, tr- I'm trying to look at those now. Um, I think we're, I think we're going to see a much heavier RPO league next year out of the big 12. I think people are going to mm-hmm. start seeing that at, teams start adopting the best offense. I mean, you know, Oklahoma State was running GT counter. Iowa State was running GT counter for a while. I mean, they're all doing that stuff. I think start kind of walking in there and installing the RP, RPO stuff, and especially if you saw their spring game, it was like every single play was an RPO. Um, it, you know, it's a fake handoff, and you're supposed to hit that guy in the slant, but he needs the inside release. And if every corner is like, no, you're going to have to do an outside release to get there, it's, it's 
that timing's off, all of a sudden, you know, that's how you mess it up. You just, you make them take one second longer. And then all of a sudden, all those windows that used to be there because you, you were too afraid, you kind of let them run free and you're trying to react. Um, it's, it's just, it's just not there anymore. It's, it's not as, um, as wide open. That's the stuff I'm excited about. The, uh, it, you kind of gave a general review and then I kind of hope I'm do a general review. I don't know if I can, I don't know if I have it in me to break, to go through every single uh, defensive player. <laughs> but I mean, the linebackers to me were, were the best unit on the field, uh, defensively, in my opinion, um, how they played through. I mean, David was playing well, white had some good hits. They filled those lanes in like you're talking about once they start spreading some guys out, um, uh, the three, two, six picture that you showed with the DT out there. I don't think that's ever going to happen because no one in the big 12 really runs tempo, which meant, you know, the OU would have been able to get a substitution in there correctly. Um, but the stuff that I saw that I was super, super impressed with, and he didn't get a lot of shine with it was Canick being out there wide, man. He was out there on islands a few times and he looks natural. He looks natural turning and running. Um, RJ, uh, RJ, RSJ being Robert way out there. Yep. Being out there as a, as a safety type, I mean, he looked big, he looked fast. They're running around. Uh, it's just there, there's some dudes out there that seem at this point in time like they're all going to hit. Um, and that's not something I'm used to seeing out of defensive recruiting for University of Oklahoma in the last, you know, seven years. Um, it's, it's, it looks like it's a new day all the way. Um, the only time, I think the only two linebackers I didn't like seeing were, um, roof and then uh mccoy who's i mean mccoy made a super bad read on the on the mims touchdown but mccoy will never should yeah. never play a, a single solitary snap in university of oklahoma this should not be a brian meat situation uh if it is then i'll use in some deep shit <laughs> oh i agree completely uh the other thing the only other thing i was going to talk about is that you just mentioned a second ago in terms of disrupting timing and like how that can result in sacks so one, Reggie Grimes, one of his sacks in the second half, I want to note, we're going to talk about it here in a second. He, uh, he beat Marcus Hicks around the edge, and I would hope mm-hmm. Reggie Grimes could possibly could do that. But on that play, Oklahoma had six guys on the line of scrimmage. They dropped both linebackers away. They were lined yep. up right over the center. And Dylan Gabriel's a third down. Dylan Gabriel's trying to find Daniel Parker on a quick slant. Marvin Mims was open on the backside if he would have worked his progression to the right like he should have, but he didn't. And he panicked, and Reggie Grimes was able to get home with a sack. That's the stuff you're talking. That's the stuff we're talking about. Yes. And I am. I mean, it looked very similar to what Jim Knowles did at Oklahoma State last year. Like not because like Hecox gets in there three, gets in there to three three five. They'll get into a three two six base sometimes. And you know, it's like it's more like base. Like you know, they'll blitz guys. They'll do this, but they're playing their defense. Like Jim Knowles was, pardon my French again, just fucking sitting in the house, like. Like, he didn't care. And mm-hmm. I love that. Like, that's what made Oklahoma State's defense so much fun to watch a year ago, was that they just no, – they didn't – no regard. They're just going to blitz, 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 blitz. They're going to blitz from one direction. They're never going to come from the other direction. That's – everybody can hear the excitement of my voice. Like, that <laughs> – that's going to be awesome to watch. So, let's talk about the personnel. Let's start – I believe I have defensive ends listed first. Let's start there because – that probably was one of the more impressive days. Mm-hmm. I want to note again, and I want to reiterate this when they went up against the starting tackles and not going up against tight ends, they had some trouble like Marcus Stripling, man, when he got, he knew that I will give him credit. Marcus Stripling knew when he was going up against a tight end because man, he came a little bit different. Uh, 
when it was a walk-on, Reggie Grimes came a little bit different than he did against Tyler Guyton and Wanya Morris and Savion Bird and Anton Harrison. Um, I, I would say this along those lines. I think, in my opinion, the offensive tackles looked good, potentially Peyton, yeah. because the edges aren't that good. They're not as strong. Yeah, I could, I could see that. I could see that because I think the biggest dude is probably Downs at this point in time. Uh, not his best day. No, not his best day either. And most of that pressure and most of the stuff that we saw was coming up the middle from the, the DTs, the nose tackles, and uh, you know those two linebackers filling in those, those A gaps and B gaps and kind of like coming to, coming to slight delayed pressure or, or immediate pressure and being able to fill up those holes. I mean, oh, you didn't do – Oh, you had OU's running game stuff kind of really started popping in that second half, but most of that came on that wide zone stuff, the outside zone stuff. When you started running to those edges, they weren't quite able to on a hay up the middle. I mean, um, which is honestly good to see, question mark. Uh, when last year, if you wanted five yards, you could get it. Uh, you wanted eight yards, you could get it. You know, just up the middle, just you just kind of had to ride. Winfrey a little high and let him take himself out of the play, then you had a pretty big gap, you know, every single time up the middle. Um, even some of the pulling stuff I'm just watching. I mean, these, those linebackers are there. I mean, it, it, it's a completely different coach team already. So yes, I, I want to highlight again, that was Reggie Grimes, Ethan Downs, Marcus Stripling again, great day. Uh, I think that's again, the pr productivity that you want to see from a guy like that. And then here's the other one. Clayton Smith got some run in the second half. He yeah. got washed down a couple times in the run game. He was lined up inside the tackle, though, Peyton, in like a 4-4-I. Four, four so it makes sense that a smaller guy like that, when the tackle has like obvious leverage on him, that he's probably going to get washed down. But when the offense was running like split zone towards Clayton Smith and like leaving him unblocked to go under the tight end that's pulling mm -hmm. at him, he looked really good. And I think that I kind of have an idea of how they're going to try to use them. And I really hope that they do use them that way and they stick to it. Like he needs continuity. He needs a full year of training his body and into that kind of stand up Vic Beasley. I think a lot of people have made that comment, how he, yeah. they use Vic Beasley at Clemson. That would make a lot of sense. And so I hope that that's the direction they're going because I still think Clayton Smith could be a game changing kind of player for Brent Venables at Oklahoma. You just mentioned a second ago, though, Peyton, the pressure was coming from the inside. We are going a little bit longer in this segment. I'm going to try to zoom through the rest of this, but the defensive tackles I thought were the best unit on the day. Mm -hmm. Who, Where the hell did that come from from Jordan Kelly? It didn't matter who was across from him. Yeah, I mean, it, this is this seems like a different a different regime. If they say someone's playing well, we need to stand up and say, okay, they're going to, play, they're going to be playing well. And Jordan Kelly's the one who got – most of the pub every single time Brent was talking about who's performing on the defensive line. And um, it, it seems like it's there. I mean, if you, if, if, if Kelly and Redmond were playing at that type of level, um, I think OU may be able to be just fine as some may, maybe some of the secondary stuff starts getting kind of figured out. Um, it is impressive watching those two play. Uh, looks like they're complete starters. And then, um, you know, Johnson as well, that wider body in there was able to fill some gaps in it. So, I mean, I think OU is going to be able to rotate that through and not lose any too much of a drop-off, in my opinion. You know, last year when we rotated, you can always say, oh, crap, they're about to get an eight-yard run. You know, <laughs> I don't think that's necessarily what's going to happen up the middle this time. 
Calvin Thibodeau, pour one out. You did a phenomenal job recruiting yep. in the defensive tackles at Oklahoma because they got some depth. Isaiah Coe, I thought, looked good in his time. Mm -hmm. I know he got hurt a little bit. Jeffrey Johnson, kind of that thing I've talked about, Peyton, like hot and cold, like one play, two plays. Next thing you know, like, there's a stretch of two or three where it didn't look like he was on the field. And that's fine. I think that'll come with time. He's in the system. Jerry Schmidt's breaking him down mentally over the summer and getting him right. Like that's a guy I could see definitely taking a leap uh, from what we, what we saw in the fall or in the spring. But Corey Roberson, I and the last guy I haven't talked about him yet, Peyton. Man, when they got to do an odd front, they got Jalen Redmond lined up right over the center. Mm -mm -mm. Mm -hmm. I mean, holy cow. Like, he's not a zero tech in the NFL. Like, he's not a nose tackle at the next level. He's a, he's a three-technique defensive tackle. But at the college level, with his power, I mean, Robert Contrell was just getting moved every single time. Like, just flat out put it – like, Jalen Redmond was, like, putting Robert Condrell in Dylan Gabriel's lap. It yeah. was – it's awesome. Like, I love every minute of it. And I'm very, very excited to see what those guys do. You talk about the linebackers. Danny Stutzman, welcome. Welcome to the party. You're going to start at Oklahoma this year because you're a really, really good football player. That's the best I've seen Danny Stutzman play yet. Deshaun White missed – Two, there's two run plays that he filled poor, he filled wrong and they busted. I, I think those have got to those have to stop. If they stop, he's fine. It's mm -hmm. just those one or two plays every game that he fall he doesn't do his job right or you know mental laps you know whatever it may be. Play play breaks not good. David Aguebu didn't really notice a ton. Like I think he he looked a lot better out there in terms of moving around. Like, he didn't look nearly as stiff. Like, that was my main takeaway from him, Peyton. Okay. But, but I'm of the belief, or at least I'm sitting here today, that it's going to be Deshaun White and Danny Stutzman probably starting a linebacker for him inside. And I want to add this to it. I thought it was interesting based off all the chat of this offseason. Shane Witter did not work as an outside nickelback Sam, the cheetah position, right? Mm -hmm. Shane Witter worked as an inside backer on Saturday. And that just was not what I think we expected. Well, I mean, I still don't know what to do with him, uh, to be honest with you. I don't know how much mental injury I'm going to be able to give to him. <laughs> uh, I, I, I the, the, switch it back over to David. I saw more positives when I think maybe you saw, I mean, some of that stuff that wasn't hitting on the inside of that run game was because he was there. <laughs> I mean, I mean, you, somebody has to be in those holes. Somebody has to be in that and, and cause a, a running back to kind of have to shift movement and stuff. And I thought he filled in really well. I mean, maybe he wasn't the one making the hit, making the tackle, but you've got to, everyone has a part to play on that defensive side of stuff. But yeah, I mean, even then he's massive for what, um, he's huge for what uh Brent usually tries to do Witter is usually the type of middle linebacker of those inside linebackers that he played at Clemson I mean they're usually smaller guys who can go you know sideline to sideline and kind of fill in a gap when it when it appears that's that's kind of Brent's a little more of an MO like he wants these guys to slash in you know as a running back is kind of working his way down the line you see an opening or you see the quarterback's eyes flash you're able to kind of haul ass down the hill or, or turn your hips uh, so I think he's going to be in that type of spot but um, I think David truly has a, a real legit package there, especially when he start playing more run heavy teams, uh, you're going to see him in there. He's going to be 
filling in those gaps and, you know, white will be able to make a tackle over the top or something like that. But you need a big, you need a big dude who's going to be able to do that. And um, yeah. And, and, and the more I'm looking at it, like, let's go ahead and yeah, cause we're on the outside guys, but like I'm watching Clayton kind of get stonewalled a little bit and stuff like there that. It is. I mean, it, it is kind of happening on those edges a little bit more than I, than I originally thought. But those inside guys, yeah, I think it's Dutz, White, and, and David, and then uh, you kind of have some guys after that. I agree with you. I thought TD Roof was better than what I expected him to look like. I yeah, don't know, yeah. like, I don't know what that means, yeah. right? Like, I don't know how to view that. But he was like, I didn't expect him to be even that athletic. You know what I'm saying? Like, I there was things I I didn't ex- I guess my expectations were so low mm-hmm. that he surpassed them. <laughs> And like now, I'm like, okay, he could be in the rotation. Like, if something happens, true, true, you know, like not a big deal. Yeah, yeah, so, he'll play. He'll get some run, but he shouldn't. Yeah, he shouldn't be getting extended run. Like, he's the guy midway through the third quarter or something gets you know a few plays a drive to kind of let somebody take a breather. Oh, I agree completely. With Shane Witter working at inside backer, Peyton, that leaves us to the ultimate question of this defense something you and I have been talking about for months. We have no idea what it's going to look like. We have no idea what body types we're going to play the, the play that apex Sam Nickelback position that they're calling cheetah. You had four players playing in on Saturday, Peyton. I'm just going to start with the, well, we're going to go oldest to youngest here. Okay. We're going to go. First one was Justin Broyles was playing it for the white team. Trey Morrison was playing it for the white team. Justin Harrington was playing it for the red team. And then Jaron Canick was playing it also for the red team. Mm-hmm. I like Justin Broyles a lot. I think you have to start every conversation, anything revolving around this conversation. I think you have to start with that. He's done great things for the university. He's done great things. He's going to do better things in life than I will ever do. Jaron Canick needs to be starting there. Let him learn. I, he's different. You could tell he's getting used to it. it it's going to take some time. Like, it's a lot different than playing. I don't know what level Hayes, Kansas high school football is. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I can just see it. I see the instincts. I see the trick, like the acceleration, like when he triggers downhill or goes, triggers to go get, get the ball. Like Justin Bros a lot. I probably think he's going to be the day one starter at that position, Peyton. But man, 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 I, I'm just saying I think that's a pretty strong sign about Jaron Kanick that you've got three guys that are 22 years old or older at that position, and then you got some 18-year-old that should be going to prom here in two weeks also at that position. And not Shane Witter. I think it's also important to note that. Yeah, I think it's Kanick. I mean, if, if I were him, I'd, I'd start him. I'd play him. I'd say this is our guy, and, and then go from there. Uh, he looked natural. He, he could turn and run. Um, and, and he's just out there. I mean, it, it's hard to put it in another way other than it, it should be his job to lose. I mean, he, he looks, he looks like a natural out there. I know it's different than when he has run before. And, you know, it's it, there is a, obviously a, a, a there's going to be a change in uh, trying to get that out there, but man, this, he looks good. He looks good out there. He looks natural. looks like an athlete um, does all the stuff you want him to do. Um, it's hard. It's hard to think you wouldn't play him. I'm I'm with you. And you know who else is with you? I know you're not listening to the broadcast. You should hear the segment when Dusty Dvorak is just gushing over what he's heard about Jaron Canick. So 
with that being said, we have spoke ad nauseum about Mr. Canick ever since Brent Venables came to Oklahoma. I think it lived up to my expectation of what I wanted to see. Maybe a little, maybe just a little bit more natural in terms of chasing the ball, but I think it's going to come with time. I, I think it's a ticking time bomb for when he's one of the best players on this team. Corners wise was a little weird. That wasn't a pass interference on Jaden Davis. I have no idea what that official was doing. Um, outside of that, like Kendall Nunes makes a pick on a ball that was like right thrown, you know, directly thrown to him. Don't know if he's going to be in the conversation, Peyton. Uh, Woody Washington made a great plays in the screen game uh, of mm-hmm. any screens that were coming to him. That was really good to see. So let's talk about the two guys that I think are the most interesting pieces of this conversation that we saw on Saturday. DJ Graham did not play. I just want to reiterate mm-hmm. that before I talk about this. Kenny Walker from everybody that was there in person. I think everybody got the impression I expected them to have. And then Mr. Joshua Eaton, who I still never understood why he didn't give more playing time over the last two years. Besides his first year, he looked like he was like 160 pounds soaking wet. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it does seem like, Oh, he's going to start playing their, uh, their big boys. And it's going to be interesting to see how it all gets played out. But yeah, I mean, to me, you're still you're still looking at Eaton and, and Woody, and those are your two. Um, anyone else after that? I just have a hard time thinking. Um, OU is going to be able to have guys who can run and turn and, and have size enough that someone like Brent's going to be comfortable allowing them to to be out there, knowing that 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 amount of of, of pressure is coming. You know. I mean, those balls have to get out quick and fast, and you're going to have to need that. You're going to need that size to uh, reroute wide receivers and reroute some of that RPO stuff. So, I mean, to me, those are those are the only two that I saw that had a lot of flash. And yeah, that, that I think maybe that was supposed to be for that the one that Kendall got was cool, cool for him, but I think that was supposed to be a little back shoulder fade, or that's what Dylan seems to have thrown it as. And just uh, the court, the wide receivers couldn't fight through, and uh, you know that's kind of that at that point in time. No, for sure. I agree with you completely there. Okay, safety. Billy Bowman, Key Lawrence. I don't really think we need to talk about anything else. Those two mm-hmm. guys looked really good on Saturday. They looked natural. They looked natural. They, they really did. I'm very, very – Billy Bowman, it looked like, you know – and it's not even in the past stuff, coverage stuff, Peyton, that excites me. It was them coming down in the run game. With no fear. Yes. Yeah. No fear. And that's the stuff that gets me excited because whenever you talk about running a 4-2-5, when you talk about running a 3-2-6 specifically, you're going to need guys like that to come downhill, fly downhill, and help in the run game. And Mm -hmm. those two guys definitely were able to do that. Bryson Washington, don't going to sit here and say his days are numbered in Norman, but – I definitely have that kind of feel to it. Damon Harmon, I loved him coming out of high school. His body is just not there yet um, to be a guy that I think is ready to compete at the power five level from what we saw. And with all that, I'm very, very intrigued to see who is behind these guys. Because I'm going to mention it from this perspective, Peyton. I think Trey Morrison's probably behind Billy Bowman. Mm-hmm. But – Jordan Mukes behind Key Lawrence, not sure. But Mr. Robert Spears Jennings that you mentioned at the top about talking about the defense, 
that's a guy that looks like he belongs. Yeah, for sure. I mean, OU being able to do a youth movement so quickly and uh, um, and so fast, it, it, I mean, it's nice to see. I mean, I didn't think it was going to happen. So I didn't think, you know, Kanek and, 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 and uh, RJS would be able to be there, but it, it does seem like that's where OU's going and that's where OU kind of needs to be. So it, it's nice to see it happen immediately and um, maybe not OU being a little stubborn about who they're trying to play at these spots and uh, why they're trying to play them at those spots. I agree. I agree. No, I, I'm, I'm with you. I'm very, I think it's pretty clear. It's going to be, you know, there's going to be a group of Broyles, Morrison, Lawrence, uh, and Bowman. Like those are going to be the guys that are probably going to be involved with safety. And then you throw in Jaron Canning at Cheetah. And I think that's probably your five guys that are going to be rotating in with them. And we'll see kind of what the rest looks like. I want to acknowledge Gavin Marshall looked fine as a freshman kicker. That's going to be, mm-hmm. that's something that I'm sure we'll talk about more as the off season goes on. Michael Turk. I mean, I'm amazed. I'm, I'm intrigued. <laughs> um, I think that was what- the, I think that was the only moment of the spring game where I go, Oh shit. Whenever he, oh, sure. whenever he hit that punt, just 60 yards on a dot yeah. out at the one yard line. I was like, Oh shit. Makes sense why he didn't come out in the draft this year with punt God from San Diego state in it, as well as a cup. The guy from Colorado state's also got just a massive boot, but he is Michael Turk is a weapon. And if Peyton on that conversation, I know I'm trying to go quick here through the end and we're going to skip through some of the segments I've got listed, but on that conversation, you know, you mentioned earlier that you're a little bit worried maybe about offensive production. And we've talked about maybe that regresses just a little bit from where it's been. And I agree with you. <laughs> you know, I agree with you mm-hmm. um, with that. With that being said, Michael Turk becomes just an almost oh, just sure. important piece to this team for 2022. A, re- a required position. I mean, honestly, and, and OU turning special attention to the special teams. Um, let you know that they're not going to try to give away yards the way they have in the past. And, and that's just really nice to see. I mean, you, you need to see that intentional response to some of this stuff and how it's going to play out. And the Turk being a weapon, the offense, I mean, you're going to see more sacks. You're going to, well, maybe not. OU was pretty, pretty havoc. I'm sorry, dying. Uh, pretty havoc inducing already last year. Uh, so I don't know if it's going to be that huge of a thing seeing stuff. It's just going to be done in a different way uh, than what we are used to seeing. And, that's, and I think being able to pin guys back, get negative plays, pin them back again, we're going to see some stuff that we're just not used to seeing um, out of OU uh, for the last, like, you know, what, I mean, the 2020 year, I guess, but that's such a COVID year and it doesn't really matter at this point in time. It's, I'm, dude, he's a weapon. I'm just excited to see him punt footballs in the fall uh, and not on an NFL roster. So I have, we had about three more things that we were going to talk about tonight. One of them, we had four more things. One of them I forgot to list, Peyton, and I think it's important we talk about, and we finished the podcast out with this. Collective has started. We knew it was coming. Um, we had an understanding of who was involved with it. Sorry, I did. I was not given a gag order to not say, but I had to be careful. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think everybody found out. I think everybody kind of knows at this point where I was able to get it, get this information from because of uh, business and, and other relationships I have. Barry Switzer is fronting and helping fund an NIL collective 
that is going to, at its most, pay every football player, so with the ceiling of it, is going to be able to pay every football player $50,000 a year, every scholarship football player, so however many guys are on scholarship, Men's softball as well as men's basketball, I'll add that as well, but a lot of people are listening to this focus for the football side of it, Peyton. I believe, if I've heard correctly, that your employer is also helping out as well as some of the other tribes in the state of Oklahoma are also helping fund with this thing. So there's Barry Switzer. (laughs) Basically, the who's who of everybody in Oklahoma that is an that is connected to the university is going to be involved and help fund, which it's fine. There's no issues with it. It can it can roll. I can tell you that there's some copyright things in terms of like logos and pictures being used. Oklahoma will be Oklahoma. Peyton's bitched about the home the home field apparel thing that OU won't let them do. It's all the same conversation. Uh, Oklahoma hates when their trademarks are used or watermarks or whatever it may be. But I think it's, I think we should finish the podcast out. We're going a little bit longer than what we typically do. Um, talking about this collective, because from what I know, this puts Oklahoma as competitive with just this, and this isn't the only NIL, just this one will put Oklahoma as competitive with every other collective that's out there. Yeah, I mean, it's just something they had to do. We knew OU would be able to set the baseline and be competitive and then everything else we have to figure out. But I think OU is going to be able to, with this, uh, I know Red Dirt Sports says he knows of two others that are kind of uh, coming up as well to try to yeah. put all this stuff together. I think I've put that on, on ours as well. I think one okay. or two. Well, Gabe and, Gabe and Dusty, Gabe Iker, Dusty Dvorak, they've mm-hmm. talked about on their podcast, sorry to butt in. And then – Outside of that, I still think there's two other ones that are being made. So yeah, and to me, it's just with the with the with OU, it's it's kind of like, is there just enough? Um, is there just enough funding to go around for all those NILs? And then on top of that, is there enough funding then to to you know do the the Sooner Club and all that type of stuff? So that will be interesting to see how all that gets kind of played around. And does OU just have enough resources? to fill the coffers of the, of the program and the players you know, all the way across the board. But OU was going to do this. OU was going to be in the mix um, and at least set stuff on the, they were not going to be left behind. And they're also doing the full, the full uh, payouts for the GPA stuff as well. Um, I think that's another five grand ish or something in a year they can get, mm-hmm. or like, uh, I can't quite remember the exact number. That's a month, right? Is it a year or a month? It's a semester, it's semester based, I think. And so I think it's I think it's a total number for uh, per year you can get. Uh, so, I mean, so these players, they all, I mean, it's a stuff too that you wanted to see. It's a stuff too that, you know, that Brent wanted to do. He's not going to, it's not, it, I don't think it's going to be like a, a Texas or an A&M type situation where your days get paid. You're going to have to work for it. You're going to have to earn it. You're going to have to be in class. You're going to do that kind of stuff. And it's, you know, it's going to be on to you to then earn this money as, you know, a, a productive, uh, productive uh, member of, of the football program. And as the OU, uh, um, sports programs as a, as a whole and as a large. And I think that's probably the best way of doing it instead of just dropping 50K on somebody's lap who has never seen that amount of money out of anywhere. So I want to talk touch on a couple things here. This has been in the works for, this is going to drive OU fans nuts when you hear this. And I understand why. Don't yell at me. <laughs> yell at the people I'm about to talk about. This has been in the works for a couple months. 
I it was basically a done deal three weeks ago. About a week ago, Peyton, or maybe a week and a half ago, was when they first started reaching out to athletes to pay. And so these kids are going to be getting paid money to go to charities. You know, they're going to be getting paid for those appearances. It's like the Texas Pancake Factory, and OU doesn't necessarily want it to be a uh, nonprofit 501c3 thing. That's not to them. It's that's not the way to do it. But anybody, let's just from my connections in business that I do work with a a lawyer and attorney here in Oklahoma City, I can just tell you that's the direction they want these things to go. They think that's the that's the way to do it. So. With that being said, it's been in the works for a couple months. Jason Leonard, the compliance director at Oklahoma, has been in conversations with this group. That's why it's taken so long. Not because Jason Leonard, but because they had to make sure, you know, cross the T's, dot the I's. We're not doing anything illegal by the NCA standards. You know, we're not doing this. We're not doing that. They have gone through, like, extensive not I would interrogation is the wrong word for it but it feels like that you know like whenever you're hearing me say all this stuff Peyton and like the conversation imagine what a lawyer is telling me and like what their 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 emotions are like in terms of how long it's taken to get this thing done and so I'm just at a point where man I don't know if OU's happy about this I'm just gonna say it out loud like I think they wanted a little more control of the situation, but I will say there's nothing they can do about it. They want to copyright them. They want to sue them for that. Fine. They'll change the logo. It's not going to change the fact that they're going to be paying OU football players because you know why Peyton Barry Switzer doesn't give a flying F and he (laughs) has ever. Yeah. Welcome to, uh, welcome to the dirt. OU fans. This has been happening. Okay, let's be real. This has been happening behind the scenes, and we've known about it for about, what, four years now? That some guys have been getting paid a little bit of cash under the table. Now it's just over the table. Okay, well, I mean, welcome to the dirt. Like, this is uh, OU's in the mud. Hey, OU's always been in the mud. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> OU, OU invented the mud. <laughs> I agree. I, mean, OU, I agree OU with built you. its program by uh, finagling the GI Bill, a way to pay guys to be on camp. I mean, OU has OU understands how to how to how to get its funds uh, legally or or uh, or, or uh, maybe not legally uh, to get players that what they need to compete at. Um, it's this is the same deal it's always been. It's just OU has a control issue. They absolutely do. We're going long. We usually don't go over an hour, hour ten. It's been a long weekend, I think, for everybody. I've been able to go to bed till like five thirty in the morning, basically every day this week. I can't figure out why. Uh, so with that, I hope everybody enjoyed this podcast. If you want to see a film review breakdown, you won't find it like it anywhere else. I promise you, you won't. Um, and that's at patreon.com slash through the keyhole. Uh, if you want to, or if you enjoy this podcast, you want to subscribe, rate, review, do all that fun stuff. I would, we would greatly, greatly appreciate it as well. Matt's looking at, looking at me like, Hey, hurry the fuck up and get this thing done. Peyton's yawning. I'm tired. Peyton, get us out of here. Boomer!